Welcome to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University. I'm your host, Ian, and along with the staff and students at Belgorod State University, I have taken it on myself to try to explain aspects of Russian culture that may surprise you. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into the world of horticulture. My mission with these podcasts is to take common stereotypes surrounding my adopted home and blast them out of the water, or at least explain what is true about this culture. I'm aware that life in a university can often be divorced from everyday reality. The role of modern education is changing everywhere, and Russia is no exception. Traditionally, universities are concerned with preparing students for careers. This is combined with research, which is often the making of the reputation of any institute of higher education. However, in uncertain economic times, universities are being asked by government to fund themselves through commercial ventures that spring from their research activities. You're about to hear of one such project. Such ventures are not uncommon here, but they are all unique. Every region has its strength, and a few years ago the government gave academia some homework and assigned each region with a task, namely to develop their local industry. In Belgorod, we sit on the best arable land in Russia, the Black Earth. Our homework was to develop agriculture. To this end, the governor of our region called all the heads of government, education and industry together for a brainstorming session. One of the projects resulting from this meeting was the Belgorod Lilac Project. Our guest, Mikhail, increased my knowledge of lilacs exponentially. I am among the ignorant masses to which he refers at one point. His enthusiasm for his subject is palpable, as you would expect. This country is full of such people, I have discovered. Wherever you go in the world, you will find such people, in fact. That's the point. Experts and enthusiasts the world over bring the same joy and excitement to their work, they just have a different way of doing it. Mikhail talks about the botanical gardens that are run by the university. The gardens occupy a sizable area in the southwest of the city, with open fields beyond. The last time I visited them, I was treated to a concert by the local chamber orchestra. There is an amphitheater that seats around 250. Very pleasant. Before the concert, my wife and I took a stroll through the gardens and past the lilacs. Not that we knew it. It was September and nothing was in bloom. It was still a pleasant walk, if a little warm. Much is made of the climate in Russia, and it is extreme, even here. This winter, we had temperatures of minus 20 degrees Celsius, that's minus 4 Fahrenheit, and plus 35 C, or 95 Fahrenheit, in the summer, the year before last. There is relatively little rainfall in the summer months, making conditions dusty at times. These are challenges that Russians are well used to. Where I come from, there are only extremes of wind and rain. Perfect for growing most things. Mikhail also mentions the battlefield at Prokhorovka. I will be devoting a good deal of time to this region's experience of the Second World War in future episodes. After the war, the population of the city of Belgorod was about one and a half thousand. A large percentage of the pre-war residents were consumed by demands for slave labour from Germany, fled to join the army, or simply fled. The town itself was all but destroyed. A few miles up the road is the village of Prokhorovka, the site of the decisive engagement in the largest battle in human history. In the summer of 1943, it was the scene of desperate fighting as the Nazis launched a wave of tanks against the last line of Soviet defence. They were countered by a tank charge by the Red Army that resulted in tank crews leaping from their damaged vehicles to engage in hand-to-hand -hand fighting. It was the culmination of a campaign that involved two million men over a front that stretched hundreds of miles. No country suffered in that war more than the Soviets, who lost some 26 million lives, or 16% of the population. That even lilac cultivation reflects this fact is no great surprise here. You're listening to Understanding Russia. 
And so on to the interview. The Mikhail to whom I refer is Dr. Mikhail Tretyakov, a man with a lifetime's experience in plant genetics. He sat down with our chief interviewer, Dmitry Balanchikov, and started by outlining his project. The Belgorod Lilac project was started in 2018. Then regional governor Evgeny Savchenko provided the impetus. It was his suggestion that we use our botanical garden for the project. The site was well chosen because we have all necessary resources to hand, a micropropagation lab, lots of suitable land and an arboretum. The project has four distinct phases. The first phase was to create a plant genetics and a selection laboratory. This is where I became involved. I was approached due to my previous experience in a field. My first reaction was, well, why lilacs? Then people from the lab showed me the varieties of lilacs they had and their extraordinary properties and offered me the chance to work with them. I was sold. I always wanted to work on something like this, so I jumped at the chance to join them. The second phase was creating an arboretum. The arboretum is a crucial component. If we have it, it means that the project is financially independent, as we can sell the lilacs we produce. The next phase was to collect lilacs from the syringarium. This part of the project is the tricky bit. Acquiring plants and even searching for them is hard because there are very few varieties of lilacs sold in Russia. Having said that, this project attracts people to Belgorod region and particularly to our botanical garden, because they want to study different varieties of lilacs with their own eyes. That's for starters. Secondly, the collection provides a basis for genetic and selection research. In reality, genetic research can only happen if you have a good collection. What do I mean by a good collection? It means that all the plant varieties are consistent within their variety. The main problem with buying ornamental plants is that you are not always sure of their varietal purity. You buy a shrub and you don't know whether it matches the variety or not. It will be visible only when it blooms, so there is a certain risk. You may not have what you paid for. It's crucial to get that information early on, before it blooms, which is impossible. That's why we use genetic research methods. And finally, the fourth phase of the project is media support. Publicity is important for every project. Our university bought the Belgorod Lilac trademark. There is even a website dedicated to the botanical garden and the syringarium. This also helps customers and researchers. When they come to us directly, they can always obtain all the necessary information about the variety as well as seeing how a certain lilac variety looks. However, that's only possible in spring when the flowers are blooming. If a plant has a close root system, you can come once they've shed their blossom and pick the variety you like. When people ask me which lilacs are better to buy, I always say tastes differ. Everyone has their own perception of beauty. 
I consider all varieties of lilacs beautiful. People have different preferences, so I never recommend anything to anyone. I just suggest visiting our website and browsing all available varieties. We currently have 378 varieties in our collection. It is the largest collection in Europe. But unfortunately, not all varieties are for sale. First of all, because not all of them are being grown. We obtain most of the plants by a process of micropropagation. People often ask me to sell them lilacs that don't become bushy. People are afraid that lilacs will become rampant and they will need to uproot them. In fact, it rarely happens with variegated lilacs. Usually, you have to put in a lot of effort to make it bush out, so this is the exception rather than the rule. Here is an example. Variegated plants are unique and have a unique genetic set. And, as a rule, these plants would not survive in the wild. Let's take double-flowered lilacs. It does not reproduce from seeds due to the poor pollination of its flowers. Therefore, it cannot reproduce on its own. In addition, if you want to get a double-flowered lilac from its seeds, you will most likely end up growing ordinary lilacs with small flowers. Varietal lilacs, as with all ornamental plants, reproduce using only vegetative propagation methods of micropropagation. Is there an easier method than that? Well, a plant can also be propagated by layering. It's a technique where the new plant remains at least partially attached to the mother plant while forming new roots. They're also called young plants, right? In this case, layers are mature plants. There are two types of plants in this case. The parent stock and the cleft graft scion. The plant stock is any non-variety lilac. It may not even be lilac, but trees. It all depends on the region. For example, in St. Petersburg, they do not grow ordinary lilacs because they freeze up there. They have to graft. Yes, there are frost-resistant varieties, but most of their plants are grafted. So, they take a frost-resistant lilac and graft a layer of variety lilac onto it. This way it won't die out. It's a way for lilacs to march north, so to say. Mm -hmm. It's a pity that I didn't have you as my high school biology teacher. Everything seems so simple. I already learned a lot. I am interested in the second part of the project. If you don't mind, let's dive in the commercial aspect of the Belgorod Lilac project. You said that Belgorod Lilac sells its varieties, right? Commercial activity is essential for any project. People invest in it and expect some kind of payoff. The creation of an arboretum is simply about the propagation of lilacs. I can tell you from experience that people don't really have any idea what varieties of lilacs are out there. In Belgorod, well, I think in other regions as well, people are not very familiar with the plant diversity, particularly when it comes to lilacs. If you show someone a beauty of Moscow lilac, they will be astonished by its beauty. Noted for its unique color, beauty of Moscow is a deciduous shrub with showy upright panicles of highly fragrant double flowers that bloom in late spring. People even say that it would be a fitting plant for paradise. This variety is adorned by our foreign colleagues, especially British ones. I have never seen this lilac here in Belgrade 
region. We have studied the diversity of lilacs in our region and haven't found any yet. That's why people do not know about this plant. I was recently asked to demonstrate the diversity of lilacs. I just sent them a video that was shot at our syringarium. People were perplexed. Is that even a lilac? Yeah, really, they don't come in different forms. Some of them look a lot like hyacinth. These are hyacinth lilacs. They even have curved petals. You wouldn't even believe that they are lilacs, but they do exist. People just don't know about them, and unfortunately this makes it difficult to spread lilacs, because people perceive a lilac as something with small lilac-colored flowers and can't imagine that lilacs can have large flowers up to two centimeters and have double flowers and be of different color. They haven't seen it, so they can't even imagine what they could have. In our arboretum, we grow varieties that are in demand but not available in our area, so people can grow them at home. You're listening to Understanding Russia. If I understood correctly, you can't sell lilac varieties that are in the collection. Yes, the collection is not for sale. However, we can use a plant from the collection for propagation. We can take these varietal plants and reproduce them using micropropagation. Micropropagation is part of the commercialization phase of the project. The same phase that created the arboretum. It goes like this. We use micropropagation to grow a plant, then the plant is transferred to the arboretum to mature, and then it's sold. I'm not going to ask you the exact figure, but can you tell me whether the Belgorod Lilac project makes a lot of money selling lilacs? Is it profitable? I think it's too early to talk about the financial results, because we must understand that the development cycle of the plant takes more than one year. I mean, in order to grow lilacs, you need experience and time. It's not an easy thing to grow lilacs by micropropagation. Many people probably think that if you've been able to micropropagate one variety, then you can grow any variety. Each variety is different. We have to work out the appropriate environment as well as the right conditions for its introduction. It can only be done empirically. After a variety has been introduced into culture, it must be propagated to obtain a sufficient amount of planting material. And another thing. These plants are grown in sterile conditions, therefore they have to be adapted for normal soil conditions. So we transfer them to greenhouse boxes. Once they have sufficiently adapted, we transfer them to the lilac arboretum for maturing. At this stage they are only about 15 centimeters tall. They are still very small. Nobody will want to buy plants this small because they
they may die out in short order. They might be cheap, but the risk of dying is very high. It takes another two or three years for lilacs to grow, so we start selling them only in the third, fourth or fifth year of the growing cycle. Our project has only been going for three years. Having said that, we already have some varieties on sale. Demand is quite high because of the publicity. Media interest is pretty high. We demonstrated that there are lots of varieties of lilac, and people are finally beginning to realize what lilacs are all about. Now they want them in their gardens. And in this respect, we are operating a unique arboretum. We have the sorts of lilac which you just can't buy anywhere else. Usually, retailers do not sell a wide range of lilacs. Our project allows us to increase the number of these varieties and expand the market. Do we need to wait a little longer to see the true results then? Yes, of course, we still have to wait. When we have more planting material, we will be able to sell more of it, and then we can talk about profits. Scientific projects are almost always long-term. It usually takes a considerable amount of time to see the returns. Could the project go to the next level and become majorly profitable? I'm sure it will, despite the fact that the collection requires a certain amount of money for its maintenance, it could be lucrative. We are already conducting masterclasses and tours. It's our way of introducing people to the diversity of lilacs. We tell them what kind of varieties there are and how they differ from each other. When they arrive, they know that lilacs are white and purple. <laughs> and when they leave, they understand a lot more about the plant's differing characteristic. For example, there's the curl of the petals. We have a variety called Alexei Moresyev, named after the double amputee World War II fighting ace because its leaves resemble the propellers of an aeroplane. Quite an unusual characteristic for a lilac. As I understand it, you are saying that this type of project can be self-supporting and not rely on subsidies. Yes, that's the idea. In the beginning, the project had support from the original budget, and as the project develops, it will become self-sustaining. Self-sufficiency is the main goal of any project. There's no point in launching short-term projects. The money is spent, but there's nothing to show for it. If the result has pragmatic or educational value, then that should be funded traditionally. Okay, enough about profits. Let's get back to the lilacs. Who are the main consumers? Who buys lilacs? People who want to plant them in their gardens. Yes, first of all, people buy lilacs for their gardens. More than that, people come to us from other cities. There are many varieties of lilac with a military or patriotic theme. Victory Day is coming up on the 9th of May, and people want to plant appropriate varieties of lilac for that special ambience. So varieties such as Great Victory, Marshal Zhukov and Sovorovets are flying off the shelves. Buyers come to us because they know we are here. Even at a conference in St. Petersburg in February, Belgrade was declared lilac capital. Mm -hmm. 
So there are two main buys for lilacs, ordinary people planting lilacs in their gardens and municipalities buying them for use in parks. Yes, that's right. Okay. I also wanted to ask you about the collection that the Belgorod Lilac Project has. It is the largest collection in Europe, right? Without a doubt. Our collection is one of the biggest around right now. And we're not stopping. We are buying more plants. The collection is growing. We plan to house about 600 varieties of lilacs at the Botanical Garden, with that done, we hope that our collection will be the largest in the world. You're listening to Understanding Russia. And who has the largest collection? Highland Park in Rochester, New York, has quite a large collection, over 500 varieties. The Royal Botanical Gardens in Hamilton, Canada, cultivate somewhere around 600 varieties. But you have to understand that, unfortunately, not all places with lilacs have curators who take care of the plants, and the plants gradually die out. I must say that our syringarium is unique because in three years we we have managed to build the largest collection in Europe, and it is growing really fast. Other collections have slowed down or stopped developing. This may be due to the fact that space is limited and there is simply nowhere to plant. We have a lot of ground to grow. We also have American varieties that are extremely poorly represented in other domestic collections. Does it mean we can become world leaders? Definitely. Is that the main idea? Yes. I see. So what's your role in the project? What exactly do you do? What are your duties? Well, first and foremost, I am the curator of the collection. As I said, genetic research is necessary only when you have confirmed varieties of lilacs, that is, you have material that corresponds to the variety. Away from that, I work on the selection. For this work, you also need plants in the collection that can be used for crossing. I'll tell you how the selection of ornamental crops works in general. The plant selection breeder crosses some promising varieties that they are interested in or if they believe that promising material will be obtained as a result of this crossing. After the crossing, the seeds are created. By the way, not all varieties produce seeds. Double-flowered lilacs variety almost never produces seeds. Next, after the stratification, the seeds are sown. It means that seeds require a combination of both warm and cool treatments followed by a warm treatment only after that they are sown. From that we obtain seedlings and sprouts from which we grow lilacs. You have to wait at least four to five years for it to blossom. You will also have to wait for at least two or three years to see if it blooms again. In the first year, the plant may not bloom quite typically because it's not fully developed yet. It takes at least six years to analyze the plant. Usually, people select the plants they like the most, and this is already a form of artificial selection. Let's say 80 out of 100 plants have plain petals, and you select the other 20 that turn out to be special in some way. Climatic conditions should also be taken into account, because bad weather 
there will cause some of those petals to die off. You're lucky if you have at least one plant out of those hundred that has traits that other varietal lilacs do not have. It takes a collection and a plant breeder to navigate through the diversity and see in what way the new variety is special. For example, Americans focus on a varietal multi-petaled lilac. This lilac variety, the Rochester lilac in particular, has many, many petals. It looks like a sunflower. When you look at it, you can't believe it's a lilac. And so they bred and grew this trait, and it gave birth to a variety with the same name, the Rochester variety. Is the lilac growth cycle six years on average? Three years before the first flowering, six years to make sure that the seeding is promising or unique. At what stage does the plant get its name? In the last stage, we describe the plant, state how it is different from other plants, other varieties, and whether there are any unique characteristics. And so, and when you have accumulated the necessary number of these unique traits in the description, you can say that this plant is different from the existing plants in the world. It is unique and can be considered a variety. Once you have selected that plant, it needs to be patented, copyrighted and propagated. You see, there is originally one plant from one seed. Even the seeds of some high-quality variety of lilac can turn out to be the seeds of an ordinary lilac. Take the flora lilac, for example. It has large white flowers. This does not mean that all the plants from it will have large white flowers. You will have completely different plants in the same way that babies don't look like their parents. It's all a matter of chance. That's where genetics comes into play. It's called combinative variability. The first stage is random chromosome divergence during the formation of germ cells. This combination of genes will give you a new combination of traits. The set of traits may or may not be unique, at least to us. After all, humans select plants for their own reasons. Each plant breed is on their own track. Some people like petals to curl in a particular way, some like double-flowered varieties. Everyone has their own taste. How do you patent a new lilac species? Variety. Uh -huh. Species are already exist in nature. We're talking about selection and varieties. Yes, variety. Very often the concepts of species and variety are confused. Sometimes people perceive them as synonyms. Species exist in nature. Man cannot create species because a species is something fundamentally new that does not have the traits that similar individuals had. Variety, on the other hand, and includes plants that can freely cross with each other. This indicates that they are of the same species. I should mention that any lilac, double-flowered or not, does not differ when it comes to leaves. They all look the same at first. One cannot distinguish between different varieties. You have to wait at least three years for it to bloom, to understand what kind of variety it is. The main characteristics of lilacs are the flowers. They are the finger prints of the plant. Looking at the flowers, you can tell whether they are unique or not. You're listening to Understanding Russia. 
So in order to get a new lilac variety, it has to be unique. This is the main criterion, right? Yes. So it has to have unique traits. Yes. Am I to understand that the collection, what is it called? Syringarium. It's from Latin word for lilac. Syringa. Some people call it syringarius. This looks correct, but sounds weird. How many varieties are there in the collection? More than 300? Around 380 varieties. But you should understand that this is a rough estimate. The winter period was harsh and cold this year. Some plants might have died. We try to have at least three plants of each variety in our collection. It's done so we can see intervarietal variability and also in case the plants die out. Then we can vegetatively propagate a second plant, replant it and maintain the collection. You said that the lilac growth cycle is approximately six years, right? So why was Syringarium Gross acquired varieties that have not been bred by the Belgorod Lilac Project? Yes, however, we purchase lilacs as mature plants. That way we don't have to wait for them to bloom. We already have lilacs in full bloom. Come to us in spring and you can see this amazing plant for yourself. Are you keeping secret how many varieties the Belgorod Lilac Project has in development? No, I wouldn't say it's a secret. We have 2,500 hybrid seedlings. These seedlings have already been chosen for selection. 150 of these have already flowered. We are closely observing them. Most of them have not yet bloomed. Until then, we won't include them in the selection process. We have about 150 plants in bloom, uh, but recently we have identified two promising plants which have a unique set of characteristics and in the future might be considered a variety. Why exactly did you choose lilacs for this project? There are several reasons. I am often asked why lilacs. I've decided that I will write a special book or pamphlets in which I will explain the reasons why. As I said earlier, this plant is associated with victory. It blooms in May. May is the time when World War II ended. And on Victory Day it was lilacs that were given to soldiers who liberated Europe. In addition, there are many varieties of this plant that are associated with the military or patriotic themes. You know, I didn't know that. Well, Belgorod region is closely related to these subjects. There is now also a collection of military and patriotically themed lilacs at the Prokhorovka battlefield dedicated to various events in military history. This is very important. The second reason that we chose lilacs is because it is related to Christianity. Lilacs are planted near Orthodox churches. And, you know, the third reason is that people here are not very familiar with varieties of lilacs, and we decided that we needed to solve this problem. Unfortunately, not many varieties of lilacs are sold in Russia. Nowadays, ornamental plants are widespread due to the prevailing fashion for landscape design. There are many planting projects going on. 
Ну и сколько стоит, если с вашего позволения? Well, how much does a lilac bush cost on average, if you don't mind my asking? I want to buy lilac bush for my dacha. Do you call it a bush? Yes, lilac plants are shrubs. I would like to stress this because it is a question everyone asks me. Apparently, this question is considered very relevant, and everyone wants to buy lilacs that do not bush out and grow in clusters. There are tree-shaped lilacs. This is when you graft several scions into one stalk and it will look like a tree. But this is atypical for lilacs. In general, in my opinion, lilacs are better grown in shrubs. Well, as I have already said, cultivar lilacs reproduce extremely poorly, and you will see very few lilac shrubs in a lilac's nursery garden. They usually look like small trees, but this is probably due to the fact that they were wanted that way. Lilacs start to bloom earlier if there is only one shoot. To make the lilacs bloom faster, which is also important in the breeding process, the other shoots are removed. There is also one shoot all the time, which will bloom quickly and you'll get results quickly. When lilacs bush out, the plant will take even longer to bloom. Lilacs that we have in pots, by the way, have only one shoot, as a rule. Sometime, in its third year, a small bush reaches the size of 30 or 40 centimeters in height. That's when you can buy it. The price depends on what size of bush you want to buy. Generally speaking, selectively bred plants can be extremely expensive. Everything depends on the age. The greater the age, the higher the price. Accordingly, small ones cost from 200 rubles, which is about $2.50. You may hear people saying, you have expensive lilacs. Other nurseries may just not have such lilacs. Here we utilize high-tech processes such as microclonal propagation. It's all extremely costly, but it pays off because we're selling lilacs that match the requirements of their variety and that are in better condition due to this type of propagation. These are the advantages, certainly. We sell lilacs in our nursery now. I don't remember the exact price, but somewhere between 300 and 500 rubles, which is about from 4 to 6 dollars, depending on the variety and size. What age of lilac usually attracts private buyers? Everything depends on what you want to spend. You can buy younger and cheaper plants, but it will take longer for them to bloom. If you want it to bloom the same year, you'll have to pay more. What is bought more often? It depends. People usually want lilacs to bloom right away, so they buy them as big as possible. These can cost a thousand or one and a half thousand rubles which is about 15 to 20 dollars. You mean a thousand per bush? Well, maybe. Yes, if it's a very large bush. When we recently bought cultivar lilacs, they cost 5,000, which is about $65 per plant. Why so much? Well, first, it has something to do with their uniqueness. There are only two or three of these plants in Russia, and we bought them from rare collections. From a collection for a collection. And the plants are about 12 or 15. 15 years old. The cost also includes transportation and other expenses. Yes, plants can be very expensive. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Dmitry went on to discuss how much his new garden was going to cost him with Mikhail. You see, gardens and flowers are obsessions for very many Russians. With the advice of the country's top lilac expert ringing in his ears, Dmitry recovered himself enough to ask about the artificiality of bred lilacs. 
This is actually a difficult question, a tricky one, because plants are never artificial in principle. All plants are natural. Put it this way, there are wild lilacs with small flowers and there are cultivar lilacs. People are not very well informed about cultivar ones because wild ones are grown everywhere. They require low maintenance and there aren't many varieties of them. They are grown on farms and in some areas of our region. On the expedition we conducted through the region, we encountered true cultivar lilacs only in few places. How are they different? As I said, the main features are double flowers, abundant petals on one flower, and the size of the petals. On a wild plant, they're about half a centimeter, but on a cultivar one, two centimeters, and there will be a lot of them. Of special interest to us were lilacs with variegated leaves, that is, the leaves are not just green, but with bright veins, yellow, for example. Such lilacs are beautiful not only during the blooming period, but also afterwards. With variegated leaves, the plants look very impressive. They catch the eye right away. How long does one lilac bush live for? Every plant has its own longevity. There are lilacs that live 300 years. It all depends on how you take care of the plant. Lilacs can look like a tree. If you don't let it bush out, it forms a thick enough shoot and it can be considered a tree. But it is still a shrub. Such lilacs live about 50 years. That's a lifetime. Roughly when did men start breeding lilac varieties? The main diversity originates from the French lilac collection. There is even a French lilac cultivated at the Lemoines nursery. Three generations of Lemoines bred ornamental plants and lilacs. They created a great many varieties and were given a medal for it. There is even a Lemoine monument. He developed varieties in honor of military and patriotic themes, naming plants not only field marshal, but also their wives. <laughs> Were the marshals happy about that or not? I can't really say. As one acquaintance of mine joked, Monique Lemoine wasn't much of a lilac. Apparently, he didn't like his wife very much. In fact, the Lemoine cultivars are considered classic. In Europe, too, although lilac culture is common, not everyone is aware of its diversity, so in the future a project may even export lilacs. But that's another matter, I guess. They have growers of their own abroad. French lilacs. What century was that? Early 19th. Active breeding began in the 18th century. Le Mans developed the first double-flowered cultivars in his nursery. It took him about 10 years. Before that, we didn't know about the double-flowered lilac. In the early 20th century, unfortunately, the Lemoine nursery was closed. Then it was all about domestic breeding for us in the 20th century. There was a problem. The USSR was limited in, ter the USSR was limited in terms of exchange with other countries, and we had our own ways of doing things. A guy called Kolesnikov suddenly made the main contribution. 
It should be noted that people involved in ornamental plants, unfortunately, are not always biologists by training. Just amateurs. In this respect, our project is unique because we want to occupy a niche that has not been exploited — ornamental plants. Previously, lilac breeding was conducted by non-scientific centers. Our university is the first in this regard. Am I correct in assuming that cultivar lilacs are only those that have been developed by men? Yes, absolutely. In broader terms, new cultivars began to appear only in the 18th or 19th century. When did breeding emerge as a science? Well, we must first understand what a cultivar is. A cultivar of a species is a plant that possesses some particular set of traits needed by man. As regards other plants, people spend their entire lives growing plants and selecting those that had the necessary traits. For instance, people had a wild variety of wheat that had very little grain. But then they noticed a spiklet that had more grain on it. They selected it, grew it, and got many such spiklets out of it. They did not know it was a variety. But it was already selective breeding. Yes, in fact. Cabbage varieties can serve as a good example here. You wouldn't even know it was a cabbage if you looked at the original plant. There are many types of it. Cauliflower, we consume its inflorescences. White cabbage a modified bourgeon, called rabbi cabbage, develops as big shoot, and if you put them in front of a non-expert, he will say, yes, they are different plants. They don't look alike at all. But this is one species, simply different varieties. It is the same with lilacs. If you compare a simple lilac with a double-flowered lilac, people will not immediately realize that they are both lilacs. That's what selective breeding is all about. Selected traits do not always give good variability. Double-flowered lilacs are not variable and cannot reproduce. So they can pass on their genes, they're complicated in terms of propagation. And this trait will disappear, appearing spontaneously in crosses. It will appear periodically in some spontaneous combinations of genes. And having some plants with a given trait, men can propagate it asexually. There is a very good book in this regard, the triumph of seeds, and this popular science book promotes the idea two plants rule us. Because humans reproduce plants, we improve them, we improve them to obtain, it would seem, the traits we need. For example, there are seeds that have higher nutrition value, so we make more of them. They become a source of nutrition, but plants improve too. And it turns out that plants make us improve them. So despite the lack of intelligence, sometimes you begin to wonder if we are ruled by plants. Because without plants, life is impossible. Plants are the basis of every biogeosynosis that is any community. If there are no plants, there will be no primary energy source. Plants capture energy of the sun, convert it into the energy of organic compounds, and these organic compounds are consumed by herbivores. And we consume both herbivores and plants. So, if there are no plants, we have no primary source of energy and, consequently, the Earth will die. You're listening to Understanding Russia. 
are lilacs generally hard to maintain? It is probably more appropriate to ask whether wild lilacs are a demanding plant. Generally speaking, all white plants do not demand much. Because they live in natural conditions, they have to survive. And, accordingly, if they do not survive and die, the genes that were useful in them are not preserved, and these plants cease to exist in the wild. Man selects plants for traits that interest him, and, unfortunately, good traits do not always form a combination that would allow a plant to be more adapted to the wild conditions. That's why it happens that cultural plants are worse at propagating vegetatively or are more demanding. It is the same with animals. Generally, purebred animals have far lower immunity than crossbred ones. In fact, we can say that a wild lilac is like a mongrel dog and a cultivar lilac is a pedigree dog, which has a distinct character, like some genetic predisposition to diseases or lower vitality. Such a lilac must be better cared for than a wild one. The more, so to speak, pedigree the lilac, the more attention is necessary. Yes, absolutely, but not always. Because here it is very difficult to catch the fine line. It does not depend on beauty. It depends on the plant's genetic combination. And we, unfortunately, are not always able to identify the right way. Let's say there are lilacs that are more frost-resistant, but that doesn't mean they won't have double flowers or other traits such as big flowers. There is no such direct connection here, but yes, as a rule, cultivar plants require more attention and care. What is the advantage of lilacs over other varieties of similar plants? Well, probably one of the advantages of lilacs is easiness in maintenance. Although cultivar plants are more demanding compared to others, maintenance of lilacs is still not too complicated. It is, as I said, more tolerant to pollutant gas and dust, which means it can be cultivated in urban areas. So that's one advantage. Junipers, all sorts of conifers, as they're known, are in vogue now. But, unfortunately, conifers cannot be planted in areas close to highways, because they simply accumulate harmful substances in themselves. They don't shed their leaves, so they die after a while. Plants that shed their leaves have no such problems. And probably one of the big pluses of lilacs in our climate conditions is fairly high drought tolerance. It's quite hot in the summer, and watering is the main problem. And not everyone can afford to water their plants all the time, and many plants are very sensitive to it. I was referring to other species. With lilacs there are no such problem. That is, it is not as demanding in terms of watering, but they certainly require it. The next one is an advantage and, I guess, also a disadvantage of the lilacs. It blooms extremely early. Not many shrubs bloom by victory day and tend to bloom later. But lilacs please us by blooming in May, and that's a plus. Okay, now that you've started talking about disadvantages, what are the main drawbacks of lilacs? One disadvantage of lilacs is probably their blooming period. This period depends on climate conditions, that is, if it is extremely hot, 
the flowering period will be shorter. Perhaps this is one of the disadvantages, but in principle, this disadvantage can be compensated as follows. It's about breeding. Lilacs are divided into three groups – early, medium and late flowering types. Accordingly, if you plant early blooming lilacs, they will bloom in early May. The medium ones bloom somewhere in the middle of May. And at the end of May you will see those of the late flowering period. That is, you will have lilacs blooming continuously for a month. If you only plant early blooming lilacs, they will finish blooming quickly. In our area, they are likely to bloom longer due to cooler temperatures. It may bloom for about two weeks and then it stops. Here, you still need to choose the right varieties of lilacs so that you have a prolonged flowering period. And, while some varieties have already shed their petals, others have not. This, by the way, is the advantage of the lilac nursery. You visit it at the beginning of the flowering period some varieties have already bloomed, others will bloom in the middle of the month. Those early ones will probably have faded by that moment. And then there are lilacs of late blooming period. In addition, there are other types of lilacs, in particular lilac that bloom in early June, but they do not have such big flowers, but rather small ones but they have a slightly different fragrance and they do not even look like the common lilacs that prevail in our collection. What has the Belgorod Lilac project achieved so far? First, of course, is the lilac collection. This is probably one of the main achievements because there are few lilac nurseries in Russia, and large ones like ours can be probably counted on the fingers of one hand. The second is that the planting material we sell is of high quality and fairly diverse. There are people who wanted to buy some varieties of lilacs but could not do so because they were not not sold in Russia. They simply were not on sale and had to be ordered from abroad. This is extremely difficult, but now they can buy them from our nursery. Well, we hope that another achievement will be obtaining varieties of our own through selective breeding. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Well, that was interesting. Good luck to Mikhail and his team. This is a new podcast and we are excited to hear from anyone listening. We will try to respond promptly to any and all inquiries and comments. If you have a suggestion for a show, then we will try to accommodate your request. The whole team would like to thank Katie Walker for her kind words of encouragement. She is our first correspondent and fully earned a mention here. Until next time, Dasvidanya. Thank you for listening to Understanding Russia. If you want to contact us, you can get in touch with us via our website at urpod.net, where you can find all our social media links, or via email, understandingrussia at gmail.com. We will be very happy to hear from you. You have been listening to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University.